we're going to jump right in this morning, and I'm going to ask, uh, you don't have to turn there, I just want to start with a reading uh, from the prophet, I'm going to tell you why we're doing this in a minute, but I want to start uh, with a reading from the prophet Isaiah, this is Isaiah 50, just a few verses here. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who's my accuser? Let him come confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment, and the moths will eat them up. That's a word from the prophet Isaiah. I want to pray, and then we'll talk this morning about what we're, what we're remembering today. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be with you, uh, to join together and to remember again the great and glorious gospel of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We do this all the time, all year long, and yet a certain time of the year we remember again um, the great passion and compassion that you demonstrate for your people. I pray that for all the things that are going on in our hearts and minds, including mine, that they would be quieted and stilled, that we might hear from you. I pray this morning, Father, that by the grace of your Holy Spirit, by, the, by your absolute ability and, and power to teach, that we might again be awakened, our soul might be woke up to the reality of what you have accomplished on our behalf. Indeed, Father, what you have done for the sins of the world. It's a big ask, Father, and there's no way we can do that without you. So would you, would you be with us this morning? Would you help us to um, be open to you in those most vulnerable places, those, those parts that we don't, we don't really want to think or, or talk about? Would you allow us to be open to you in those things? And then, Father, may you bring glory to yourself. May, may, no matter what happens, may you bring glory because you are worthy. You're worthy of glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's kind of a funny thing getting ready for Easter, right? There's so much stuff going on uh, in the culture in this time of year. And it's really interesting to see the culture kind of buy into and begin to process and wrestle with what Easter means and what Easter is about. I don't know if you've noticed it, but everything from the ads that we experience to the, uh, the news that we read, there are people talking about Jesus. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but if you've read the Bible, you'll often find people talking about Jesus in ways that are antithetical to what the scriptures say about Jesus. Like it's like they almost don't even read the source of what the story is. And so, but as Christians, this morning begins what is known as Holy Week, right? And uh, if, if, if in the church some, some segment of the year is considered holy, we should say, well, why is it holy? Like we have Christmas. It's a big deal when Jesus came. 
But the truth is, as Dale shared already, that the, the beginning of the preparations for the offering that God was going to make on behalf of the world were being made. And so the hope this morning, and I don't know what you do or don't expect this morning, but the hope this morning is that you and I might be able to participate a little bit in the reality of what Holy Week is. Dale mentioned to you there's a few opportunities this week that you can continue to take the journey before next Sunday. You, we all know next Sunday is Easter, and we have an opportunity to worship here at Family Bible, of course, but we have an opportunity to worship together with the, the community of saints here in Highland at 6.30 a.m., I believe is the time for that service at First Baptist. We have an opportunity to uh, worship together Friday for those who are available in town at 12.10 to remember Good Friday itself. But I hope that this week, maybe this morning, would set up that remembrance of ourselves as much as everyone is just pushing for what Easter is, the reality of what Easter is. That's the hope. That's the hope. And so with that in mind, we are going to turn, if you would, to the uh, Gospel of Luke. That's what we'll be working this morning. And let's see if I can pull it up here. Yeah, Luke 23, it's on page 736 if you're using one of our Bibles. I would encourage you to open the Bible and look at it for yourself. I know, and by the way, if you have a smartphone, that's perfectly awesome. Uh, we have Wi-Fi here. If you have a tablet even or something, you can bring that in. And we have uh, open Wi-Fi here. You can check these out. But you can read along. I encourage you that whatever you do, you, find, you actually look at the words and consider for yourselves the story that we all um, know. I was talking to a friend of mine, and they said, oh, it's Easter. What more can be said? And I thought, an eternity worth of stuff <laughs> can be said. I, I, I believe that it'll be no less awesome for us when we're worshiping God in his presence forever what happened on Holy Week. I think it'd be no less awesome when we're on the other side of glory to look back on Holy Week and the offering that was made. I think it'd be more incredible to us then than now, perhaps. Too often we, we see this from a human perspective and not from God's perspective. I think it'll always be awesome. So page uh, 736, Luke 23, and we're going to start in verse 1. We're not going to cover all of this. We're going to start there, 1 through 5, and then we're going to jump down to 26. But just hear the story. So you'll know that the um, disciples of Christ, uh, Jesus is, has been turned over, and the disciples of Christ have been kind of scattered already. We've, we've had all the things that we know of, the, the suffering of Jesus and the betrayal of Jesus have happened. And so now Jesus is before Herod here. And he says, or before Pilate, and it says this in verse uh, 1. Then the whole assembly, that's the crowd there, rose and took Jesus to Pilate. Right? So they dragged him into Pilate, the ruler. And they began to accuse Jesus, saying, We have found this man to be subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Christ, a king. I just want to stop for a minute and talk about the accusations that are being made against Jesus. And if you've been here for a while, you know we talked about this already when we went through the Gospel of Mark, right? Where they made these particular accusations against Jesus. But the first is that he's been, what is it? He's been subverting our nation. Now that's particularly the Jewish nation. They feel really offended by Jesus. He's been saying things about himself that they are not happy with. And it's subverting everything that they've always believed. It's, 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 you know, subverting is like to undermine or to work against the things that have always been established, and they're very uncomfortable with that. And so that's the first accusation, is that, that Jesus is subverting what we've always thought to be true. 
But then they quickly realize, I think, that they're before Pilate, and I'm not sure Pilate cares much about what's happening in Jewish culture and life. Other than, as long as there's no insurrections, there's no, you know, he just wanted to come so he could rule. That's what he wanted. He wanted people to be, uh, stand in line and behave so he could rule over them. That was the, the job. And so uh, he wasn't really concerned. But then look at the second accusation. And, oh, by the way, he opposes paying taxes to Caesar. I was thinking about that this morning, and what an appropriate time of year for us to get that text. Anyone oppose paying taxes to Caesar? <laughs> I do. <laughs> you don't want to tell the government that, right? But uh, I'm not excited. I'm not excited that tax day is coming. Well, that's the second thing. So it's like, it's like he, he's, he's not wanting to pay Caesar what he owes him, right? He, he's, he's not subverting just our nation, but he's not willing to contribute to the cause, Pilate, the things that your government stands for. Then they hit a third thing here. Oh, and, and uh, he claims to be the Christ. Now again, I'm not sure that Pilate would care much if he claims to be the Christ or not, right? Um, so then quickly, the fourth, a king. Let me see there. It's a threat to you. He's claiming to be someone that ought to be followed and worshipped. He's claiming to be someone who is more than he ought. Maybe you don't understand what it means to be Messiah, but he's claiming to be in charge. I mean, he's claiming to have um, sovereignty over everything. He's claiming to know things that no one can possibly know. He's claiming to be beyond the law. And that's the accusations they level against Pilate. They, they come in quick succession, but there they laid him out. Here's the case. Here's the case. Do something about it. Do something about it. Verse 3, Pilate then turns to Jesus and he asks this question. Are you king of the Jews? That's an interesting question to ask, isn't it? We hear that phrase so much, king of the Jews. What does it mean to be king? The basileia, the, the ruler, the authority. Are you, are you the ruler over the Jews? Is that what you're claiming of yourself? And, and a secondary question could be, are you a king? I mean, are you, are you trying to subvert Caesar? Are you trying to create an insurrection? He asks him that simple question. And this is Jesus' reply. So you say, or as you say. It's, it's funny to me that the way the text reads here, because it just says Jesus replied in verse 5, or in verse 4, um, wait, 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 3. <laughs> I'm with us now. Uh, yes, it is as you say. That's how it's interpreted in IV. Yes, it's as you say. But it's, it says Jesus replied. In the actual Greek, it says that Jesus answered by saying, you say. I, I'm just blown away by that. Like, what do you mean, you say? Here's an opportunity. You could just say, yes. Are you king of the Jews? Yes. And Jesus says, you say, or as you say. You could almost interpret that. What do you say? What do you say about me? Who do you think that I am? He's claiming to be king of the Jews. He's claiming to be the Christ, as you say, Jesus answered. Well, then in verse 4, we read that Pilate announces to the chief priests and to the crowd who have dragged Jesus before them, he announces, he says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. You see it there? I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they began to persist. You know, wait a minute. You don't understand. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee, and he has come all the way here. <laughs> he started teaching in Galilee, and he's been stirring the pot from where? From, from the 
the people of Israel, from the Jews themselves, all the way to the authority of Rome. He's just been making waves. You don't, Pilate, you don't get it. You don't understand the problem with this guy. You don't see it coming. So he, they persist. They argue. Um, they try to uh, compel. As a matter of fact, and we're going to skip over the next section. I would encourage you to read it. There's so much scripture we could be reading today. But I want to talk about uh, just some parts of it. But it says, <laughs> right before we're going to pick up in 26, it says that the crowds shouted until they were satisfied. It says here that they persisted, but the persisting continues all the way through verse 26. They, they push and they push and they push until finally they get what they want. And thinking about that, I couldn't help but be reminded of ourselves as we demand things in this life. We demand things right now. We demand our way. And so we have the same realization here that the people haven't changed much. And eventually they get what they've demanded, which is Christ crucified. So let's enter into that then. What is the chaos of crucifixion? What is the chaos of crucifixion? Now some things you should know about crucifixion is there were lots and lots of people crucified, right? There wasn't just one person crucified one time, and that's why it's such a remarkable thing. That's not the way this works. Matter of fact, we hear in the story today several people who were crucified. But crucifixion was a, uh, an attempt to put down uh, rebellions, to put, to, to, uh, put down, uh, um, to in, in enforce authority, right, by the ruling party. And so we have that laid out as uh, the uh, punishment that's due to people. And so let's, let's just pick up in verse 26 then. As the soldiers led Jesus away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, and so we're just going to talk about some of the views of the chaos of crucifixion, right? So it's a, it's a hectic scene that's happening. And as the soldiers led Jesus away then from being condemned to die, they grabbed hold of this guy, Simon of Cyrene. Now, this is an interesting character in the narrative because we don't know much about Simon. We don't. Uh, it's, we know this much. Who was on his way from the country? We know that about Simon. Uh, and they put the cross of Jesus on Simon and made him carry it behind Jesus. We know that much. And that's about all we know about Simon. But I want you to imagine that this is, as Dale laid out for us already, Jerusalem getting ready to celebrate um, Passover, the holiest day of the year. There were a bunch of Jews in Cyrene, and there's also the early church was established in Cyrene, right? And so you have Simon, who's coming from Cyrene, very likely, this is from the country, it means from the countryside or from the deserts, and he's coming into town, but very likely coming to participate in Passover himself. He's coming to worship at a temple. He, he may have been Jewish, and therefore coming to worship at a temple like all the other Jews. Matter of fact, I think the Cyrenians had their own uh, place to worship, to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. But he, he may have just been a different guy. A Cyrene is in northern Africa. He may have looked different from the people around him. Um, he might have been no, no, notable as a foreigner. So in the middle of this kind of chaos and demanding Jesus be crucified, then the soldiers grab hold of this guy, Simon, and they drag him into the middle of this chaos. I can't imagine, and I want to just for a minute, imagine uh, Simon's experience. He's coming to Jerusalem to worship, 
perhaps. He's coming in from the country. He's minding his own business. I mean, it's, it's kind of implied in the text. He's not looking to participate in this crucifixion thing. He's there, but he's, he's on a journey somewhere else. He's not part of the crowd screaming. <laughs> yeah. He's not been the one demanding that Jesus be crucified. And yet on his way from the country, he's laid hold of, the word says, by the soldiers. It means they physically, they uh, grabbed him, right? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't communicate like a passivity. They're not looking for volunteers. And they drag him into the middle of this chaotic scene where there's a crowd screaming about crucifying Jesus, and there's the chief priests who are so offended, and then you have the soldiers who are, have a job to do, and that's to crucify. This man's been condemned to die, and then here's an innocent who's grabbed and dragged into the street, and this is what? That they put the cross of Jesus upon Simon and have him follow Jesus. Can you imagine what that felt like? I mean, I think sometimes we take the Bible so far out of the human context, we can't imagine. But can you, can you imagine being the one that would be grabbed? I, I have nothing to do with this thing. I, I have nothing to do with Jesus. I, I'm not even a follower of his. To be grabbed and dragged into the streets and to have the cross that Jesus will be crucified on, you know it's a death instrument. You know this is a condemnation, right? That you have that laid on your shoulders? Like, like why am I carrying this cross? I didn't do anything. I was in the country a minute ago. And, and you're then forced to follow behind Jesus. You know, part of the word from the prophet Isaiah this morning was because of the brutality that Jesus had already been through. You'll remember that he's already been beaten. He's already been mocked. He's already been dressed up. He's already been bloodied. And he's disfigured. And then you're told, you follow that guy. And you will take this. And you will walk behind him. You will carry this cross. I, I wonder why. You see, because I have some thoughts about Jesus that make this offensive to me. I have a hard time with the idea that Jesus at this point is too weak to carry his cross. I don't think that's true. I have this view of Jesus that, that no matter how bad it's gotten, he can muster the strength to do what must be done. And yet, we have a story of an, an innocent grabbed from the street and forced to bear the burden to walk looking at his back, to, to watch as you go to Golgotha. Listen, what fear must be in Simon's heart? I mean, what if, what if he gets there and they get this all wrong and they think he's the one condemned to die? What if, what if he ends up, there's just something happens and all of a sudden he's on the cross? I wouldn't want to do it. I would want to distance myself from this guy. I don't know what he's done. I don't know who he is. I don't want any part of this crucifixion. And yet here he is, carrying the cross behind Jesus. I wonder, um, have you ever been facing things in your life that feel so heavy? Um, listen, that feel so undeserved. And you're like, I don't want any part of this. I don't want to be dragged into the road. I don't want to be on the road of suffering. I, I don't want to be in front of the crowds. I don't, I don't want to be in this chaos. Because I think one encouragement that I get from Simon is that for Simon, Jesus is right in front of him. You can't help but read this and as, a, as someone who's read more of the Bible to, to know, remember that Jesus had told his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. And here you have Simon literally carrying the cross of Jesus behind him. And here you have literally Jesus doing what must be done in front of Simon. 
no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much you think you bear, know this. You have a Savior that's going before you. He's like three steps ahead of you, and he's beaten, and he's bloodied, and he's about to pay that you might be free. Listen, that I might be free. We know some things about the gospel, and, and one of those things is that uh, Simon isn't innocent. Simon does deserve to be crucified on the cross. And yet, we have Jesus going before him. Continuing on then, after we have meet Simon of Cyrene, he is, uh, the cross is placed upon him, and he's made to carry it. And by the way, there's no more mention of this, but you would assume all the way to the place of crucifixion to be a witness, to bear witness to what's going to be done. The word continues in verse 27. A large number of people followed Jesus, including women who mourned and wailed for him. So you have this crowd just pressing in. And we've already known there's been like the chief priests who've been, you know, throwing the accusations and the crowd been demanding his blood, demanding his blood. And now you have in the middle of this crowd of people who are following along and kind of just watching. And I'm sure there are people who are just there as a spectacle of it all, you know. You can't help but watch. It's just something happening in the streets. I mean, it's a big deal. You have this whole chaotic scene. And in the middle of the scene, you have women who are mourning and wailing for Jesus. The word means they're like beating on themselves and they're saying, no, 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 this can't be. We have no identification of who these women are. We can speculate, but we don't know. They could have been women who had been following Jesus for a long time and who were, who were wrung out and couldn't believe this was happening. They didn't flee with the disciples. They were still there, but it doesn't say they were disciples. They were women who were the disciples. It says they were just women in the crowd. It could have been women who were just more empathetic than men around them, who, who saw the tragedy, the human tragedy of what's about to happen, who, who couldn't avert their eyes, right? I mean, this isn't right. There's something that God has given women to know that these are broken and bad things. Traditionally, and it is traditional, you have uh, mothers and wives and daughters who stand and weep as men go off to war. I can't help but think that so often those women think, this is stupid. Why are we doing this? You have uh, mothers and sisters and daughters who see uh, people who are, who are, a crowd turns on, who are hurt or who are beaten, and they say, stop, stop, stop. They, it's not right. So they're weeping and they're mourning for Jesus. But this is remarkable, what happens next. Jesus turns to these women in verse 28, and he says this, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, because the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that have never born, and the breasts that have never nursed. And then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us. And to the hills cover us. Because if men do these things while the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Like, in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of all the wailing and confusion, Jesus stops to what? Teach? <laughs> and what does he say? He says, don't weep for me. Don't cry for me. If you see this as a human tragedy, if you see what happened to Jesus on the cross as a human tragedy, what a waste of a human life. You're missing what's really happening here. Dale made a great point earlier. He said, you're missing the Savior. You're missing who I am. Don't weep for me, he says. Weep for yourselves. 
Weep for yourselves. Well, why? They don't think that they're going to be affected by this. They don't think this is going to matter to them, right? Weep for yourselves and for your children because you will witness what? The destruction of Jerusalem. Do you remember what the accusation was? He's trying to subvert everything we've ever known to be true. Jesus says, weep for yourselves because you will see. There's an implication there that uh, weep for yourselves and your children is like the immediacy of it all, right? That you will see the undoing of Jerusalem after you've rejected me. Weep for that. Weep because there's coming a day that you would rather be destroyed than to face what you missed. The Messiah, the one sent by God. And so that's, that's it. Oh, and get this. Um, uh, pastor and uh, theologian Kevin DeYoung has a great look at this text and he says uh, um, weep for your sin like if we go through Holy Week and we just think what a tragedy for Jesus and we don't reflect upon our own sin that put Jesus in that situation that we are not weeping for the right things this is not a human tragedy the human tragedy is our sinfulness the freedom, the blessing, the, the gospel orientation is the salvation that was bought by Christ himself. That Jesus suffered that we might be free. And so if we go through this whole Holy Week and this Easter thing, we say, oh, poor Jesus, oh, poor Jesus, we're no better than the women who are weeping and wailing. And one last thought here, lest we be too harsh. Jesus loves them. He's not mad at them for getting this backwards. And he, he uses this term of affection. He calls them daughters of Jerusalem, right? Daughters of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the great and holy city of God. These are children of God. And he's saying, don't weep for me. Weep for what's coming. Because if this kind of stuff can happen whenever the tree is green, and that means I am here, how much worse will happen when it's dry, when I'm gone? Bad things are coming. So then we have that we have the women who are weeping and wailing and jesus saying don't weep for me now we have two other criminals verse 32 then two other men both criminals were also led out with him to be killed to be executed right and we're going to come back to those guys a little bit later in the text but that means that jesus isn't alone in this condemnation so now you have um the women wailing and you have jesus teaching him and you have these other two criminals who are also being caught up in this mess and must be wondering what in the world's going on right with all of this um the chaos around them as much as they understand why they've what they've been uh, accused of and that they've been rightfully um uh, condemned they're in the middle of this chaos with jesus they're caught up in it these two other criminals one on the right side and one on the left. And they also are walking along this road of suffering uh, with him. Jesus says these words. These are not found in all the earliest texts, by the way. I just want to mention that, but th these words are found in the majority of the text. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing in the middle of his crucifixion. Forgive who? Them. All of them. One thing that I'm uh, always... Um, reminded of again and again by the gospel is that Jesus' desire is for all. Not for some, and certainly not for good people or church people, for all people. He desires that all would be saved, and he desires that all be forgiven. And even in the middle of his own great suffering, and even in the middle, his prayer, and this is a prayer to the Father, is forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. They're just going along. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Um, so now you have Jesus has been tortured. Remember, he had been dressed in a robe and uh, 
crown of thorns, and now he's been stripped to be hung on a cross. Um, I want to uh, read a quote I thought was <clears throat> really appropriate about, um, about crucifixion and, and what it is. I've got to find it real quick, though, here. Yeah, so here, here, here's the thing about crucifixion. The cross in particular. The cross represents unspeakable pain, humiliation, and suffering. The point of crucifixion and the point of the cross of Jesus Christ, which are minute, or they're different things, but the point of the cross is that uh, it is to, it's not just to kill someone, but it's to beat them, to make them suffer within an inch of their life, and then finally take it. It's more than that, though. It's to to literally, figuratively undress someone before the entire nation, um, to force them to be laid bare, to be given the ultimate humiliation, to be made a spectacle of. It is a tool that was used to rule over people and to strip away every earthly pretense of pride or of who you are, to remove your identity and to say, this is what happens when you refuse to obey us. This is the work of of crucifixion. It's meant for many witnesses to see and to be terrified by. Um, to think, I, I, I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want to be in that spot. I, I will obey anyone lest I have to be put through that. And yet, this real suffering of unspeakable pain and humiliation uh, becomes what is known to us as a symbol of infinite love. A, a, a symbol of all that could be and should be in this life. That there will be someone who would be willing to put themselves through that, that we wouldn't be put through that. So we have the two criminals being crucified with Jesus, and Jesus praying that we would all be forgiven, that we would not have to go through such a thing, that, we would, that, that the work that he is doing might be done for us. So they crucified him. Verse 35, and they divided up his clothes. Right? He, he stripped bare. That's all I really want to get out of that is he stripped bare now to be hung up in front of the public and humiliated. Verse 35, the people stood watching yeah. and the rulers even sneered at him. It means they looked down their nose, right? They were uh, they're being uppity. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, um, the chosen one. The word saved there is sozo, but it means like healed as well. Like he healed others. He helped others. He saved others. Let him save himself now. Let him heal himself. Let him, if he could do this for so many other people, well, let him do it for himself. If he is the Messiah of God, uh, the chosen one, you can hear the mocking tone. So you have the rulers who are making fun and mocking him. Listen to me. Do you think Jesus could have saved himself in the moment? I mean, it's bad enough that he's hanging on the cross. It's bad enough he's been humiliated and beaten. But then they have people going, look, you can't even do anything about it. My theology informs me that he could absolutely, he could absolutely have done something about it. But he would not. He would not. The soldiers then, verse 36, also came up in a mocked him right so he's been looked down upon or looked snidely upon and then and then they, these guys are having fun that's what it means they're playing games with him and they offered him some wine vinegar and they said if you are king of the jews save yourself 
It's interesting to me that the rulers said, if you claim to be the chosen one, the Christ, the Messiah, then save yourself. And then the soldiers say, if you are such a powerful king, save yourself. If you're a king of the Jews, they're joining in. I, I really don't think they had any clue. They just thought this was hilarious. I think they thought the whole scene with the Jews, I don't think they thought anything of the Jews. And I, thought that, I think they thought this was just a funny, fun thing to do. And the depravity, listen to me, the depravity of man to just enjoy a moment like that and to mock someone who's dying on a cross. And then 38, there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Word says it was recorded in three languages. It was recorded in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Latin would have been the, the language of Rome. And so you have the language of the one who killed them, the language of the common, the folks who spoke the language, and the language of the Hebraic people there, the Jews, that all might know that this is the king of the Jews over his head. It's funny that way back in, uh, in verse 3, Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? And it seems that Pilate says, yes, you are. You are the king. That banner would be unscrolled above Jesus' head as he was paying the ultimate price, as he was willingly staying on a cross, even as the soldiers mocked his kingship and the rulers mocked his messiahship. And he stayed there being mocked and ridiculed because, listen to me, church, he is king. <laughs> he is king. And here he hangs on a cross. One of the two criminals who were hanging there hurled insults at him. The word says that, that one, one of the two blasphemed Jesus on the cross. It's like literally what the word says. And he, he blasphemed with these words, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. It's funny to me that this could be taken as a good testimony. The guy thinks this is possible that Jesus is the Christ. I, I don't know that in the middle of being killed for my sins and being put into my own uh, punishment, I would have the audacity to ridicule someone else who's being killed beside me, but this guy had it in him. And he asked this question, aren't you the Christ? But then there's this motivation, so save yourself and save us. Stop this for us. Just get the three of us out of the situation. This is a traditional kind of um, jailbreak scenario. <laughs> Help. But he's blaspheming. He doesn't really believe it. He believes at this point next to him is nothing special, no one different. And so he's blaspheming Jesus. Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, the one on the other side, says this. He rebukes him and he says, Don't you fear God, since we are all under the same sentence. Don't you fear God, even in this moment. For, for you, I'm going to read it and we're going to talk about it. We are being punished justly because we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. Don't you have any fear of God left in you? Don't you have any sense of what is right and wrong anymore? And so you have these two criminals and they're being crucified with Jesus. And one is mocking, saying, just get us out of here. And the other one's going, do you have no humanity left? Do you not see how wrong this is? The fear of God. It's a reality, man. I was talking to a friend of mine this week about this. God's not a joke. And I tell you what, I tell you all that, God's not a joke. But we live in a culture that believes God's a joke. And on our worst days, we might believe God's a joke, right? 
we might not fear the Lord. We might not fear a God who is over everything and created everything. And therefore, we are led aside by all kind of crazy thinking of our own, our own solutions to the problems, because what? We don't fear God. And these two criminals, rightly condemned, hang. And one says, just get us out of here. And the other says, don't you even fear God? And then he says these great words to Jesus. He says, remember me. I'm going to find it. Verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Like, that's enough. Just don't forget me. Don't forget who I am. When you come into your kingdom. What does the second guy say? You are a king. You do have authority. You are, you are being sacrificed, and I want you to remember me. The word says, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That means the Basileia, the ruling, your, 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 your dominion, your domain. Remember me when you come into the place where you rule and reign. Don't forget me. But then there's another way you can, it's not just the domain, but it's also the kingly power. Remember me when you come into your kingly power. I believe you. I believe that you're innocent. I believe that you are the king. So remember me. And hanging there on the cross, in the middle of all the gore, all the blood, all the chaos, all the craziness, Jesus gives a remarkable answer. He turns to that one. He says, I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And that's the promise. It's where we're going to leave off the crucifixion story for Easter week. Who do we say Jesus is? What do we say Easter is about? If, if, you, if you want to know, read the text. Read the story. Be awakened again to the truth of who God is. Jesus says, for those who believe today, You'll be with me in paradise. This man is on death's door. And yet, Jesus says, have hope. Who? Criminal, sinner, rightly condemned. Have hope. Because today, you'll be with me in paradise. You see, you and I have earned death. <laughs> this is the thing. <laughs> That's what the, the culture don't want to talk about. Is they, they go, no, you're fine, you're fine, you're not fine. We've earned death. That's the reality. We're no better than the criminal on the cross. We're no better than Simon behind Jesus. But Christ invites us to paradise. We ought to be condemned. We ought to be destroyed. But Christ invites us to paradise. So my final question today, as we enter into Holy Week, is this. Do you want Jesus to remember you? Do you want him to remember you? in his kingdom, and in his authority, and his power. Do you want any part of this, Jesus? Because this is what Holy Week's about. It's about this invitation to follow him into suffering. And that's something that the culture will not, won't talk about. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to know you. We thank you so much that we have the opportunity to experience your, your word and that it's not a dead word, but it's alive, it's living, and it's, it's breathed into your Holy Spirit that we have that same spirit dwelling in us and that we can wake up to the truth of the scriptures. We can enter into those very human experiences that were divinely appointed, that were divinely ordained. 
And Father, today, this morning, I know there are folks here who are, who are on that journey, and they, they maybe they're more like Simon, they don't want any part of this Jesus thing, or maybe they're more like the criminal, they feel like they're on the cross, and they just need some hope, they need some hope at the last minute here. Father, I pray this morning that we would find that in you, that we would find the fulfillment of all of our hopes and dreams and desires a way forward in this life in your son's name, that we would be remembered by him. Praise you, Father. And for the ways that we don't fully grasp, even now, we don't fully grasp the great, profound, uh, superhuman reality of crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the, the, the work that you did on the cross, would you forgive us for our ignorance and insolence? Would you help us to see glimpses of the offering that you made that, that so many might be saved, that so many might be free? And Father, when we have a tendency to count up all the sin and say, who can make this right? To look at all the brokenness and say, who can bring peace? Who can bring justice? I pray, Father God, that in those moments, we'll remember that your love is greater, that your sacrifice is more, that your offering is satisfactory, that we might be free and know you. Bring glory to yourself as your people repent and believe good news. Bring glory to yourself as we walk that road of suffering this week with Jesus heading into Easter. May you be glorified. May your name be praised among all nations, all peoples, but especially us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.